Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Jake from the Total Screamers podcast. The Premier League's in full swing and that means it's time to throw on your club shirt and make sure you don't take a nasty tackle below the waist. Our partners at Manscaped are here so you stay clean and take care of yourself where it matters most. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all your below the waist grooming needs with the code SCREAMERS20 at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping on your order. That's SCREAMERS20 at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping on your order. Hello everybody, welcome back to Talk Skimmers Podcast. My name is Simo, today I'm joined by Jake. Say hello Jake. Hi guys, welcome back. And uh, we are also joined by a very, very, very special guest that we are actually honoured to have on the Talk Skinners podcast. We have George Sefton, the voice of Anfield for over 50 years um, as the Anfield Stadium announcer. George, how are you doing, mate? I'm all right. You know, when you get to my age, you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just coming up to... Yeah, well, I've finished my 50th season. Uh, 14th of August is the actual 50th anniversary of my first day at um, uh, at Anfield doing the PA, and which it says more it sounds more ridiculous the more you say that. To be quite <laughs> honest, but uh, there you go. What age were you when you got the job? Because you you actually started your job on the same day that Kevin Keegan made his debut. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. Yes, I was four years old. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, I was. Uh, what I'm, yeah, I was twenty-five because I'm seventy-five now. I was at the age where um, I would have got a free TV license until they changed the rules, which is really. <laughs> yeah, oh, Kevin um, was twenty. I know because the following February uh, on Valentine's Day, uh, which was his birthday, I got all sorts of strange emails from teenage girls who wanted to 
actually, it wasn't wasn't the emails then. Not that's, that's worrying too. It was. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say you were ahead of the time. Old-fashioned letters with stamps on and postcards and things. Yeah, so that's that's how it sticks in my mind. <laughs> oh, you go, Jake. That's brilliant, George, um, George. The story of how you got the job, I think, has become quite a, a sort of famous one. But do, would you yeah. mind telling no, the listeners no, that haven't known? Uh, <laughs> my wife's out of a shot, so it's just as well that the um, <laughs> yeah, I used to go with my wife to the match uh, in midweek. I'd go on my own on a Saturday because she worked Saturdays, and um, one Wednesday night, late April, nineteen seventy-one. The guy on the PA made a bloomer. He was prone to making uh, gaffes. You know, he, he did a few silly things. But um, this night he said something silly, and I just looked. I, I went all hoity-toity, and, you know, so that's embarrassing. And my wife, completely deadpan, just looked at me and said, well, it's all right for you down here. You couldn't do any better. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, actually, <laughs> um, I don't know. It was like a red rag to a bull. I went home and got up my uh, typewriter. Remember them? And I actually <laughs> wrote to Peter Robinson, who was the his title was club secretary, but basically he was the, the CEO at the time. And uh, you know, the letter was like the the one that uh, you know the old Aussie used saying, "Give us a job, I can do that." Uh, <laughs> a bit longer than that. I, I was quite. I write good letters sometimes. <laughs> and um, anyway, next thing I know, I've got a, a letter back from him on headed paper coming to see me. And I went in uh, to. It was weird because you know the, the story about Kevin Keegan when he had his interview with Shanks. He had to sit on a bin in the corridor because the <laughs> the offices were being um, refurbished. And I, I sat on another bin in the same corridor for my interview. But got in, Peter had a chat, uh, decided uh, I hadn't got two heads and maybe I could uh, <laughs> keep head in a crisis, that sort of thing, and decided to give me a, a trial the following August. And, and I keep telling people, in theory, the trial is still going on. There's no reason... <laughs> Nobody's ever come up to me and said, uh, "Okay, son, you've got the job." <laughs> Still on, the longest trial in the world, then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I just keep turning up. You know, I'm, um, I got an email last night to say um, I'm, I've got to go and attend the pre-season briefing. So it looks like I'm into season fifty-one at the moment. I don't know. Uh, you know, I've I, I got. I keep saying now, now I've got the fifty years in. I'm bulletproof now. If if somebody phoned me up now and, or, and said, yeah, don't bother coming in August, I'd say, well, there we go. I've had, had a good run. I can't complain. <laughs> and then I go, go out and write book two, uh, which is already um, on my, you know, the start of it's on my laptop already. So uh, that, I could uh, settle down and finish that up. That would be good. Absolutely super. I mean, 50 old seasons, that's a good old run, that. To be fair, yeah. George. <laughs> um, I want to ask you a question about just the 50 seasons. It ha- Is it true that you've actually only missed six matches at that entire uh, 50 seasons? I, I think it's six. Uh, um, as I say, the, the first line of my book, it's I say, if I'd known I was going to be there all this time, I would have kept proper records. Mm. I've got lots of um, Wikipedia entries and... Uh, things like that, and old diaries. But I, I think it's I've missed six games altogether um, because I had a reputation of you know not missing a game 
whatever I was the previous day or whatever. You know, and I worked for up in Dumfries for a while uh, in the eighties, and I, ne- I never missed a game at Anfield then. I was, you know, and um, in the days when I was working, I, I used to freelance in IT, so I was all over the place, as you can imagine. I, I still say I'm, I still hold the record. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the champion one-handed sandwich eater. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you had to get from work to Anfield for the proper time. You hadn't got a chance to sit down and uh, you know, have a meal or whatever. You just grab a sandwich and, and hop it and hope you got there in time. But I know um, in 73, my best mate got married and I was his best man. Uh, so I missed the game that day. Um and seventy or seventy four, um, I missed Ron Yates' testimonial because uh, the Saturday after the cup final, I got uh, set upon in Kirby up the road here and uh, spent the weekend <laughs> oh, with my jaw in two pieces, having oh, it sit back together again. Um, and so it goes on. I know ninety three, I missed. I think I missed three midweek games because I was working in Boreham Wood in Hertfordshire. But my mate uh, who worked for the BBC, he stood in for me for the midweek games. And I was home for the weekends, did the match and went back to uh, back to London again. Uh, and then after that, I think it was, uh, that was 93. So you move forward. The next one was when my son got married in Crawley in 2008. Um, and you know, he phoned me. 12 months previously in the October, so we're getting married on uh, October the 18th next year. And I, my first reaction is, I didn't say congratulations. I said, hang on, that's in the season. <laughs> football season. But he said, not my choice. Um, <laughs> so we left to that. And when the, the fixtures came out in June 2018, uh, my wife and I were sat here with fingers crossed, hoping we'd be away that weekend. We weren't. But then you're thinking, if you if we're playing United or Chelsea or whatever, the the match would be moved to the Sunday. But we weren't. We were home to Wigan, mm. and it it was played at three o'clock on the Saturday afternoon. Uh. <laughs> but I, I, to be fair, I gave the club plenty of notice, and they they coped. Except that during the reception, uh, my other son's phone started uh, pinging, and all these texts from his mates who were at the match. He says, "What's up with your dad?" <laughs> but, you know, where is he? He said, "There's some naughty playing all this rubbish music here. What's going on?" And um, he said, "No, it's fine. It's um, it's my brother's wedding." You know, okay. Um, but the the word got out, and sort of Chinese whispers that um, by the time I got back to Liverpool on the Monday, the uh, one of the the chat sites on the. Um, the local newspaper, which was the Daily Post in those days. Um, so somebody had remarked that I wasn't there. And um, by the time I got home, the Chinese whispered had moved it up to uh, that I was dead. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So I moved from missing to he must be ill, to he's seriously ill, to uh, I was I was a goner. And that, that happened twice. It happened, um, actually, I think it was the following year that um, I was at... Uh, a memorial service in Liverpool for Phil Easton, who was my... He worked for Radio City in Liverpool, but he was my pitch-side announcer. Hmm. And um, I was at his memorial service. He, he died suddenly, had a heart attack, 
but he's only 59. It's sad. Everybody loved Phil Easton. But on the day of his memorial service, um, I got picked up by my uh, my Ron, my my stand-in at Anfield, and um, I, I for some reason I, I didn't have a, uh, five minutes to make myself a sandwich or a cup of tea or whatever. And we went to the cathedral. And when I came out, I said, um, "I'm starving. Yeah, I must get something to eat." And he, we were going down to the cabin to uh, they're having a tribute event. And he said, "Oh, there's food down there." And I said, "Okay, um, well, I'll get some. When we get down there, there isn't." <laughs> so I I did what I had to do. Uh, I did an hour of Phil's favourite music. Uh, that was because I was chuffed. I could say, "Tell my grandchildren I played the cabin just the once." Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, and then I was supposed to be doing half an hour. It turned into an hour, then an hour and ten minutes. <laughs> and I remember saying to somebody, where's Mark Jones? Because he was supposed to be on, on after me. And the next thing I know, I woke up. I was lying on the floor of the cabin. <laughs> I just had a complete hyperglycemic attack. Blood sugar goes down to very, very low. And... Um, they, they t- but they didn't realise. They just took one look at me. Like, oh, middle aged, overweight, heart attack. Get him down to the middle. And it was you know, during the night they realised what was going on. Pumped me full of um, potassium. And the next day I was right as rain. But because it was a Radio City event, I managed to get on Radio City News the following morning, uh, which You're is fine. Again. But yeah, the, the guy. <laughs> Read the news, and at the end of the sentence, he added, off his own bat, he added, our thoughts are with his family at this sad time. <laughs> <laughs> at this point, my wife was at home just getting ready to drive down to the hospital to take me home, and her, the house phone went, started ringing off the hook, literally, and they were, what's happened to Dad? Ah, ah. <laughs> what's, what's, I've just heard about George, I'm so sorry. And, rah, rah, rah. and she said, no, hang on, you know, He's a few things, but dead isn't one of them. You know, <laughs> I just spoke to him. He shouted at me, get me shoes and get down there. I want, I want to come home. Um, but I said that took a bit of getting, getting by. And I know for a while after that, people who hadn't heard the, the fact that I wasn't dead. And we had, um, <laughs> we had another memorial service at the cathedral for the club secretary, Paul Bryce Morrison. And I rolled into that. And there were two or three stewards went pure white and nearly passed out because they, you know, <laughs> George, you're dead? Oh, nope, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and then another few months ago by, we our first match in the Europa League, uh, I was introduced to the Euro, the um, UEFA delegate, and uh, he said, please to meet you, but just one question. I thought you were dead. <laughs> I'm, I'm with the same rigmarole. I'm pinching myself, but no, sorry, still going. <laughs> and, uh, it, it's it's quite a weird feeling. It's nice to know people are upset because they thought it was dead. And, you know, <laughs> and, uh, the word spread far and wide. I know even my um, my son was away on holiday at the time in the West Indies watching the cricket uh, with his wife. And uh, apparently, his mother-in-law was stopped in the supermarket in Crawley. And somebody said, I'm sorry to hear about Sue's uh, father-in-law. And she looked at what do you mean what about Sue's father-in-law? Well, he, he passed away, didn't he? And she's thinking, oh, my. You know, what do they do? I'm sure they don't know. But, uh, it, it's just all, all part of the fun. Nice to be fair. Yeah. 
I don't yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> George, like speaking of, of sort of UEFA and yeah. a funny-ish, you you um, <laughs> had a few events in the uh, European Cup finals, didn't you? Is it true that you had a gun pulled on you at one of them as well? Uh, no, three of them. Three yeah. of them. Three, three of them. Session. Um, Paris in 81, the French FA was supposed to be looking after me, but they had a pass for me to get in the stadium. But instead of bringing it to my hotel, they posted it. So I got it the day after the game, <laughs> which was, you know, if you think, of, the more you think about that, the more stupid it is. But yeah. um, I had to blag my way in uh, into the stadium. I passed the CRS, the other riot police. I know, uh, first of all, they chased me. <laughs> uh, I was, you know, I was trying to, you know, say who I am. I want to go in, and they they weren't believing. And one particular guy got bored in the end. He cocked his rifle, and I've got a bayonet sticking up there. So I thought, like, never mind. I'll go back to the hotel. And um, then I got across the other side of the square, and I sort of a way in past the gendarmes. And the gendarmes were quite reasonable. I explained who I was and why, and off I went. The Rome three years later. Um, Peter Robinson, who was still in charge, he rang me up. He said, "You wait for what you in Rome, but after what happened last time in Paris, come up to the team hotel and you can ride in with the team." In that, that, and that's fantastic. Short of actually playing for Liverpool, yeah, going in and the team coach to the stadium is fantastic. And all the way in, get in. Um, you know, the team went off to you know prod around on the pitch and get the feel of the atmosphere. And at that point, the UEFA delegate who'd been on the coach sitting next to me all the way into row, so where are you going now? I said, well, I presume I'm going up on the TV gantry that wherever the public address system lives. He said, have you got a pass? I said, no, you know I haven't got a pass <laughs> because I didn't need a pass because I come in on the team coach. And um, he went off, came back with one of the carabinieri with the, with the gun in hand. Okay, I'm going. <laughs> And um, wow. well, again, I bumped into somebody who had uh, one of the club uh, sponsors, liaison people, who had a pass that said access all areas. He had a spare one. I got that, came back in again. And then, obviously, the the bad one was the following year, the Heisel. Because mm. the, um, the, uh, I was having a row with a UEFA delegate who wanted me to say over oh, the PA that they were going to play the game, but if anybody else came on the pitch, they'd abandon the game. And I said, well, that's cr- I'm not going to do that. I can't do that because if anybody scores, half the stadium is going to be on the pitch, double quick, trying to get the game abandoned. I said, no. He said, do as you're told. I said, no, I'm sorry. We've already had 39 people killed mm. down there. I'm not being part of a bloodbath, which is what it's going to be. And he disappeared from home, came back upon the local police with a gun. At this point, he's saying, do as you're told. And I'm saying, no. I thought, I just can't. I don't, you know, yeah, no, not at all. You were totally right as well, if you'd announced um, that. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, that had, it had happened, at, uh, I think, from memory. It was at Berry in uh, Lancashire in the League Cup. Um, I think, again, I think, I'm thinking from memory, it was, they were playing Manchester City. And um, the um, somebody came on the pitch, and uh, the PA announcer, off his own bat, said, "If anybody else comes on the pitch, the referee will abandon the game." And then Berry scored against all the odds, obviously, and 
you know, half the population of Manchester suddenly appearing on the pitch together. <laughs> um, so that it's it's a stupid thing to do, and it, you know, yeah, yeah. You think about yeah. it. So I said no, but again, this guy is telling me, "Will he with a gun behind him?" But you know, do as you're told. And luckily, at that moment, Phil Neal came in because he'd been sent to talk to the crowd, and, and he laid into the UEFA delegates. Obviously, the guy took notice of Phil, was you know, he wasn't taking much notice of me, and. Uh, all of a sudden, they had the whole scheme was dropped and we got away. But um, that was, you know, I still have nightmares about that night. I've still got pictures mm-hmm. of it. You know, every so, so often, something can appear on the TV and uh, you can see my little box in the corner of the stadium. And I, I keep saying to people, I, I still hold the unofficial 800 metres world record for getting out of that place and back to my coach. You wouldn't Did believe you? how fast I could shift. It was uh, just so glad to get home. And even then, you know, they uh, got the coach. My coach had gone. The coach had come to the stadium in. I saw somebody I knew on another coach, press officer, blagged the ride to the, to the airport, and we were driven straight onto the tarmac. No passports, no customs, no nothing. Driven, so they, they actually drove the coach out to the steps up to the plane. And um, when we flew home, the, the plane was over full. There were... Everybody who'd been on the plane in, plus about, I don't know, 15, 20 people sitting in the aisle. And you think about that now. Oh, yeah. Never be allowed. But the, um, you know, the, the pilot came on the, the tannoy and said, look, I've got an opportunity to go. I suggest we just go. And we all say, yeah, out, go home. But um, all part of life's rich pattern, I think. Well, at least you can know where I would say absolute certainty that you did the right thing. I mean, you were you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. that. The it bottom line abs- is, I'm still here talking to you. So yeah, I'm exactly. Just- <laughs> um, I want to ask you a wee question about the games you've attended. Is there any games that stand out uh, that that you've you've been a PM on, and they've been like the atmosphere or or the game has held something like sort of significant in your memory? Have you got, have you got a favourite sort of atmosphere that you've oh. you've been at? Yeah, I mean. Uh, people ask me this quite often. There's, there's a few. There was a discussion on one of the chat rooms on Twitter recently, and I uh, people say, is the atmosphere different now? And I say, no, the atmosphere is as good as it ever was, except nowadays it builds very quickly. I mean, going back to the 70s, when Leeds and Liverpool were head-to-head for the title all the time, quite often the terracing would be full three hours before kickoff. So you're playing music, the crowd's singing and chanting, and you get to three o'clock and your, your, your eardrums are failing because they're just the, the row. Nowadays, of course, everybody, you know, is coming up the road to Anfield. They've got a bit of paper in their hand. You know, there it is. There's my bit of paper. It says, I'm going to get in and that's when I'm going to sit. So I don't have to worry. So they, they don't tend to get there, you know, two or three hours before kickoff. Or if they do, they go in the lounge and then. The last 20 minutes, you know, you have to ramp up the volume, good style, mm. and, get the and it works because um, I always said that I, I'm old enough to remember playing Inter Milan in 65 when I was standing on the cop. That was amazing that night because this was our first year in the European Cup, and I think. And um, then we'd, um, you know, we were playing the Inter Milan team, who I think they were world club champions at the time, but they were. You know, the top of the tree, and we gave him a good hiding. And that was a fantastic night. But you work your way through. People talk about St. Etienne in 1977. Again, that was fantastic. 
you know, the way it went, we were on our way out of the European Cup. And Fair Club came on and scored the winner, and we were straight to went on to win it. Um, and then Chelsea in 2005, I thought nothing mm. would ever top that. And I, I was quite pleased myself that night because I went with a, a case full of really tub thumping rock CDs, and I, I had the place shaking <laughs> you know, on the way up to um, kick off. But then you think, well, that's that's as good as it gets. And then we get Barcelona in 2019. Um, that was a completely different animal. You couldn't have written a script for that because you know, we turned up on the night with 3-0 down already. We're playing the best uh, team in the world. Um, two of our star players were cropped, and we thought, got no chance here. But people <laughs> turned up just to watch the football and enjoy seeing Barcelona. Obviously, it's something... You can tell your grandchildren, I saw Lionel Messi play and whatever. And then, you know, all of a sudden we score quite early on and people are thinking, oh, interesting. You know, it's only 3-1, but I mean, we've got the half-time, it's still 3-1. Right after half-time, Genie scores those two goals and we're level. And then everybody's, whoa, we're going to, you know, we can do this. The same with when we played... Um, um, AC Milan in the final that year. There mm. came a point. Um, yeah, that was I don't know, well, that was two thousand and five, wasn't it? Yeah, there, there came a point. You're thinking we're actually going to do this. We were three 0 down, and now we've got you know we've got the momentum. We're going to do this, and the same happened in 2019 with Barcelona. And I'd say if I shut my eyes now, I can still see uh, Trent Alexander Arnold putting the ball <laughs> out of the corner. <laughs> And walking away and then turning around, ding, ding, and he's in the back of the net. And I didn't say a word because I'm looking at the referee, thinking he's going to blow his whistle and say, take it again. And then it suddenly dawned on me. He wasn't. He was walking back to the centre circle. And all the Barcelona players were looking at each other. But, whoa, hang on. <laughs> you know, and um, I even, I would, and every time somebody talks to me about that match, I always mention one name, Oakley Cannonier. He was the ball boy who actually mm. threw the ball. He was part of the movement. It wasn't just one, two, three. It yeah. was one, two, three, four. Yeah. Uh, he's at our academy, or at least he was. I haven't heard his name mentioned lately. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he goes down in Liverpool history because it, it, it was quite deliberate. The whole thing was, was orchestrated. It was brilliant. And then you're thinking, you know, Look at your watch. We've got a fair way to go. And, of course, Barcelona only had to get a, you know, a lucky goal, and they were through on the away goals. But So uh, that you know, those last few minutes of that game were agonising. But then, of course, when the whistle goes, all hell breaks loose. And <laughs> we've, um, we've, we've beaten them. We've, we've beaten Bar. We've not only beaten them, we've given them a good hiding. Mm. You know, with half a team missing, and you know, everything about that night was fantastic. But the row at the end, and um, you must have seen the pictures and heard the story. I bang on you, never walk alone. Mm. And the whole squad lines up again in front of the cop yeah. and stayed right through. You never walk alone. And um, then off they go. And I'm, um, I'm thinking. Looking down at the cop, thinking, time to go home now. You know, the match is over. We've won. We have done you never walk alone. Mm. Nobody's moving. I I operate the music off uh, USB memory sticks nowadays, uh, but I do have 
CDs there just in case. Um, I've got a little pile of all sorts of genres of music there just in case something goes wrong. And that night I looked down and there's John Lennon looking at me. So I got CD, banged it on, and Imagine came on. And I was thinking, this is really not sort of football ground music, but uh, no more. It worked. They all drifted away. And then everybody took it up. The whole place was singing. And that was just, well, it was just such a magic moment. And it's such a feeling of power Mm. when you've got 54,000 people singing to what you're playing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, obviously I'm not. I'd, I'd love to be in a band, but I, again, that's <laughs> the closest get to nah, it. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna get, and um, then the, you know, they went right through it, and uh, you know the, there were people, you know, you know, big grown men hugging each other and singing along the tops of their voices. It was brilliant, and I said for days after that, I was getting emails off people saying, "Oh, that was wonderful what you did." Um, Appears Morgan on uh, Breakfast TV the following morning, said I was a genius. I thought, <laughs> I don't like Piers Morgan, but I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then I got an email from somebody in Australia. He said it was 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, and he was standing in uh, Sydney Casino watching the match on the big screen, and he said the place was full of all these big, big rugged sheep farmers, and they they were all in floods of tears and singing songs. <laughs> I thought, that's, you know, I'll Can't quit. get better than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely wonderful. Uh, that's cracking, George. The the music you play is obviously a big part of, of building that atmosphere. Mm-hmm. How? What do you sort? What's the process? What do you sort of think about when you want what you want to play and stuff like that? Well, it's it built up over the years. Obviously, um, I think you can see. Hang on, no, the other way. There's, there's some CDs there. That if, if I turn my laptop round, there's walls of cds here that i've collected over the years nowadays of course on the, i've got a lot of digitized music um and it's just a quick question of experience and how you build it every so often something comes along that the crowd take to and they you'll you'll drag it out once in a while mm. um and apart from that there are certain pieces of music that get the crowd going uh, there's Liverpool Liverpool songs. I mean, uh, Heart as Big as Liverpool is second only to You'll Never Walk Alone nowadays. Mm. I, um, I had a lot to do with that. I was very pleased that I got the f- very first promo copy of that. And if you ever find the video of that, I'm actually on the video of that thing, <laughs> um, which is weird. I, it took 24, well, not 24, 18 hours out of 24 to film the thing over at Wallasey Town Hall. I've never, you know, I've never done one before or since. I never thought I'd appear in a rock video, but I did. <laughs> um, and towards, if towards the end, everybody, if you find every lines up, there's this big, big fella in a blue fur coat standing there. And that's me, you know. It's, uh, that's <laughs> but anyway, so um, there's favourites, there's crowd favourites. You drag out. I play an awful lot of local bands. Mm. Um, I get sent an awful lot of music. Obviously. This past season, you can just wipe out the memory because uh, we tried our best to make the match day as normal as usual, but it's impossible without the crowd. You can't replicate it, yeah. It's, you know, the times we did have people, they were fantastic. You know, Everybody said the same thing. When we played Wolves just before Christmas last year, uh, we had 4,000 people in, in the ground, and I was the same as everybody else. I'm looking around and so, where's all the noise coming from? 
because the 4,000 sounded more like 20,000. They were fantastic. Mm. But under normal circumstances, I'll get a lot of music sent to me and I'll, I'll go through it, you know, bit by bit. And now it's, it's the, the quality I get nowadays is amazing. I, I don't know why in particular, because, you know, obviously technology helps, uh, you know, bug standard unsigned bands to, to make better stuff. Because I know I, years ago I get a few. Then in the era, it was the 80s, everybody had a cassette recorder. <laughs> I used to get hordes of them. And um, the quality was really awful <laughs> you get something think oh yeah i like that put it on one side but the percentage of good stuff was tiny now it's gone the other way i'll get people more likely to send me mp3 files now as opposed to cds but the quality is just outstanding my problem had during normal times my problem is squeezing it all into the pre-match mm. uh, stuff because there's, there's so much Good music. I really don't want to miss out, but I, you know, I, I've more than once I've ended up with my playlist, and it lasts about three and a half hours. And I think, well, who am I going to ditch out of this lot? Because it's, you know, it's really this stuff really wants to be heard. I, I know I'm very proud of some of the people I've given the first airing to. You know, the um, the Coddle, the Zootons, people like that. Mm. Uh, and look what people still think I'm, I'm getting paid by Atomic Kitten. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, I still keep in touch with um, uh, Liz McLaren and Atomic Kitten. Um, the um, the week before last, I, did, I recorded a programme for LFC TV, and the girl who was interviewing me uh, is Liz's busy mate, <laughs> I discovered. So, but... Um, as I say, the, the local band, I'll try my best to squeeze them in because I, I know I get all sorts of stuff sent to me. And I, it, it's, it's tricky getting it all in. But then things will happen. You know, when David Bowie died, you know, I, obviously the following week, uh, I squeezed three or four of his tracks in. <laughs> um, when Phil Easton died, my pitch side announcer, the following match, uh, his sound engineer had, had compiled a list of his favourite music, and I just played it right through, mm. you know what I wanted. Um, then um, certain things will happen. Uh, and, you know, and the other thing that I have a great feed from uh, TV commercials. It's amazing how often TV commercials will drag out old songs that I used to love years ago, and I've got an excuse to play them now because some. <laughs> um, I mean the the. Uh, What's the the one of uh, Lily James going around the fairground? I think she's advertising Vodafone, but the uh, one of the phone companies. But the back to that, drop to that is, wouldn't it be nice by the Beach Boys? Was I used yeah. to? Play. We're going back, you know, more than fifty years to that, but I can play it. Um, and once in a while, one of the players will ask me to play something. You know, if a, as a player who's best mates with a musician, I'll get leaned on sometimes. <laughs> but uh, I just all in all, I try and get a balanced list. And the, before this last, you know, dead season, as far as I was concerned, the, we had a routine going up to uh, kick off. You know, I started playing uh, Tower of Strength by The Mission a while ago, and it, it's it's really good, you know, build up music, and then. A couple of years ago, I started playing Thunderstruck by ACDC, and yeah. 
if you listen to that, it's absolutely perfect for just ramping up the atmosphere in the place. Definitely, uh, yeah. The, yeah. Um, and uh, so we had a, a you know a routine, and obviously, if uh, nowadays I'm obliged to play the Premier League anthem while the teams are lining up to I call it the handshake anthem. It's not it, especially <laughs> seems we don't do handshakes at the moment. But um and then you never walk alone. Last thing yeah, that that gets quite tricky because um the Premier League anthem and you never walk alone between them last three and a half minutes. And if for any reason the teams come in out come out a bit late and they end up standing on the pitch lined up with three minutes to go, I can be in trouble. Yeah. I've got, I know once I decided I had to ditch the handshake music, I got all sorts of trouble. And apparently the club (laughs) got fined for doing that. So nowadays uh, it's much easier because I can fade you never walk alone out because uh, over the years the crowd have have taken to that way of doing it. You can hear the crowd getting louder and I'm fading the you never mm. walk alone down to, uh, to to match up with what they're doing. It touch wood, it it usually works out very well. <laughs> All right, George. Um, last question: What was it like to watch Liverpool win the league for the first time in thirty years? <laughs> Weird. Um, <laughs> it was because of what happened here. Yeah, because there were nobody there to see it happen in thirty. Um, I had two special treats. The night we actually won it when Chelsea beat Manchester City, I was sat here for five hours doing a live Skype to BT Sport once or twice. And every so often there'd be a hand appear to my left and it'd be my wife bringing me another cup of tea. (laughs) But uh, when uh, Chelsea scored a couple of times, I'm up out of this chair. Get in. I'm forgetting they're recording it, and that, <laughs> uh, that went out all over BT Sport. But um, then the night we actually got the trophy, obviously I was in the stadium. Uh, it looked fantastic. Sky did a wonderful job of that. Mm. The presentation ceremony was amazing. But you know, from what I circumstances see, it all in a small space, and the rest of the place is empty and it's dark. It's so weird. Um, but again. I heard Peter Moore, who was the CEO at the time, at a dinner just before lockdown last year, and he said that Liverpool have a billion followers worldwide now. And on the night we actually picked up the trophy, there were 300 people inside Anfield, and I was one of them. So, you know, you can't do better than that, really. And you'd find you know, a billion people who'd rather be there than <laughs> sitting in wherever they were. And um, that was just amazing. And then... Just after that, they um, I had a sort of private session in the, the uh, trophy room with my, two of my grandsons uh, you know, with the trophies, and um, I'll, I'll say that's just something I never thought to do again. I've got a very old picture dating back to uh, the early 90s, I think it was. Uh, I was doing a five-a-side tournament with Southport with Alan Kennedy, and somebody uh, turned up with this big brown cardboard box in the back of his car. I said, where's Alan? I said, he's right at the end in the field there. He said, oh, here's the, the trophy. Uh, and you look after it till he gets back. And I said, yeah, fine. And he went off. I thought it was the trophy for the five-a-side competition. 
But when Alan comes back, we open the, the case and it was the the Premier League trophy. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I wasn't taking much notice of it, to be honest. I was supposed to be guarding it, priceless. But I had my picture taken then. And um, I say that's what, well, it's nearly 30 years ago, obviously, because um, mm. when United, United had won it that year and... Um, I I was you know, very proud of that picture because I was I was probably the only one in inside Anfield that had his picture taken holding the Premier League trophy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now I've got my picture with uh, with the real thing and the the European Cup and the uh, Super Cup and the World Championship. That was something that meant an mm. awful lot. To me. It really did. I know people saying, "Oh, it's a it's only a money making exercise." I said, "I'm sorry." It says on the champions of the world and i don't yeah. care if you're champion at tiddlywinks or making podcasts you're world mm-hmm. champion that's yeah that's a good absolutely uh george just to finish up can you tell listeners and viewers just a wee bit about your book sorry um, can you tell the listeners and the viewers just a wee bit about your book voice of anfield oh yes uh i thought you'd never ask <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um i'll just give you one second i must i should have dragged one off the trophy off the uh, shelf before. There we go. Looking now for Panto, folks. It's um, Peter Hooten of the farm uh, phoned me up. Must be two years ago now, and um, he said uh, he'd like to meet me for a cup of coffee. And he, he brought with him his literary agent, and they both said the same thing. Look, you're coming up to fifty years in Anfield. You must have a few tales to tell. And I said, um, Well, of course I have, and. Uh, we thought about writing the book. I said, well, not really. I had a go once, once before and it wasn't very successful. But he said, well, no, let's go with this. And, and um, so I got stuck in. And I was lucky. It, it's awful. I was lucky when lockdown came because I was just at the sharp end of writing all this. And um, I, I didn't, I was told I had to stay in here. So I sat here all day finishing the book up, getting it all together. We got a publisher. Uh, Atlantic Books have done a fantastic job with it. And the thing came out on May the 6th this year. And um, thanks to Jürgen Klopp uh, doing a little blurb for me and, you know, and Kenny. Yeah, Kenny wrote uh, the, the foreword to the thing. And Elvis Costello, I got him to write some sleeve notes as well. Although I did say to Elvis, uh, I was a bit annoyed because his sleeve notes are actually funnier than what's in the book. <laughs> uh, I let him off it did the job and uh, on publication day I was in uh, Channel 4 Studios over in Leeds and they, they surprised me with this a video of Kenny and a video of Jürgen mm. um, with the book and at that point I crept into the uh, the top end of Amazon sales charts mm. and I'm still there I think I'm, uh, I'm still the best selling book about Liverpool at the moment Although it's it's about to sink, I think we've, uh, it's doing very well. I'm re- I'm really pleased with it. It's, it's you know I've, I've it's exceeded all expectations, and the um, I say just the people who who helped me with the publicity has been fantastic. Well, uh, the reviews I've gotten I've, actually there's one guy up in Scotland who's who slated it for some reason. I'm not it wasn't me, I promise, George. <laughs> and, um, the uh, the rest the 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 reaction has been fantastic. It's been so pleasing. It you know it's heartwarming to see yeah it's been received and uh, you know uh, people seem to like it. So I'm uh, I'm chuffed chuffed a bit. 
Superb. Uh, George, congratulations on the success of your book. Um, your copy will be linked on our Twitter post and our YouTube videos and the, the podcast, wherever you get it, just okay. below in the description. You, the link will be there. For anybody who wants to pick one up, please do. You've heard some of the stories in this podcast, and obviously um, they are fantastic, and you get you get some more yeah. of them in the book. Uh, thanks very much for, for the listeners for tuning in. Uh, we shall see you on the next one. Uh, cheerio, bye. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply